Today's scripture reading comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 11 and 17 through 19. But Saul, still breathing, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. All right, here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. How do you rescue a very, very good person? How do you do that? I want you to meet somebody. There's a couple, Victor and Veronica. Now, um, AI helped me with this. So this person, this couple and this family do not exist. I'll probably destroy it after today's sermon, so this is the only opportunity you have to meet Victor and Veronica. Um, uh, the prompt is upper, upwardly mobile, middle-class American family with an average amount of kids. And so um, there they are. Um, little George is uh, just half a boy. Um, he's not all there, but they love him. That's a dad joke. He's not all there. Whoa. Yeah, all right. All right, so let me tell you about Victor and Veronica. Okay, um, they do not make waves. They're pretty compliant. They, listen, they have listened to their parents um, from a young age. Internally, though, they might be mad at their parents, but they've listened for the most part. They do observe what is required of them, um, be it a syllabus, be it a protocol, be it a guideline, be it a handbook. They, they've followed them. Um, if there is a system, they operate strictly within said system. They have so understood the system and its requirements to such an extent that they have achieved system accolades and uh, uh, they've become good system performers. Um, uh, they have abided by system conventions so much so that it's become a convenient shorthand for them for um, just moral rectitude, moral decency. In fact, so much so that it's a shorthand, basically, 
um, abiding by system rules is basically their religion. That's their religion, okay? Uh, they, become, they often equate becoming a better person with um, finding increased ele elevated positions within the system, whatever that is. Okay, the, uh, Victor and uh, Veronica, they met each other at a system-approved educational center, and uh, they built a system-approved life. They have a house, they have some cars, they have low debt, they have a safe neighborhood, there are good schools. They've created 2.5 system seedlings. Um, it's, it's really difficult to get these young seedlings to buy into the ethos of the system, but um, it seems like it's gradually working on their seedlings and that they too will become productive system participants. Uh, they're not too loud about political opinions, not really too loud about anything, to tell you the truth. Um, they are tired, they're very tired, they're healthy. Um, uh, they're, they have ample resources, 401k, check. Um, they have great investments and their financial estate is gradually growing every year. Um, uh, they have aging parents, um, they have good enough neighbors, they have minor tussles at work, but who doesn't, right? Who doesn't? Uh, and, and if it's not the American dream, then they have objectively achieved the American promise. And the American promise is this, is if you work hard, we promise that you will live in the top 15% of the system. Isn't that great? Um, so, do Victor and Veronica need rescuing? What is there to rescue them from? Maybe is a different question. How do you save someone who is very, very good? Um, this is what we're going to be looking at. One of the most famous conversions in all of Christianity is Saul slash Paul. And I might use those interchangeably. Um, it is extreme, and we can use something topical from the news. It is extreme as if someone, part of a group of violent people, wants to kill another group, and within three days, all of the sudden, he is a part of the other group, and they are hugging him. It, it is, it's, it's that extreme. So this is what I want to look at is... And Saul is a very, very good person. So how do you save, how do you, how, how is a very good person saved? This is what I want to do is from Acts 9, except we're going to really pull from all of the Bible, but from Acts 9, what are the elements of a conversion? And I mean it in its radical sense. Like I was thinking this way, but now I think a different way. What are the elements of a conversion? How would you know that God had done a conversion on you? Like, I'm not going to even assume that you have gone through this conversion. So, so let's just look at this elements. And there are five of them. We're going to go through quickly. Is this, is number one, is this. This is going to be, now, I'll, let me preface this by saying this, is there are many different types of conversions that happen in many different types of ways all throughout the scriptures. Very, very different stories. Joseph is different from Abraham, is different, like, you're going to have different conversion stories, and so they shouldn't look all the same. They don't look all the same, they don't sound all the same, and yours doesn't going to sound, but what you are going to see is the, the elements of a conversion are going to be present in all of them. So one is this. 
Um, let's look at it. As you meet a God who opposes you, he disagrees with you and you disagree with him, and he does something that you don't approve of. Now, this is really interesting. In verses 4 through 6 that Alicia read in Acts 9, look at this phrase. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice say, this is Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says this. I, and I've, I, didn't understand, I, I didn't understand this for a long time. Who are you, Lord? That's what he says. That's his thing. Is, I, who are you, Lord? So this is what he's saying is, I don't recognize the God I've been following. The God I've been serving doesn't, I, doesn't, it doesn't sound like you. Here's the point. You will know that you have been converted by the God the Most High is when you finally run into a God that disagrees with you. And you might disagree with him. Otherwise, think about this, and this is why I want you to get the logical. Otherwise, I'm just going to tell you is you have been following a God that you made up. If he doesn't disagree with you, you've made him up. What do we call that? <laughs> you've literally made something that comes out of you and you call it God. What do we call it? It's an idol. You've literally made a God that's an idol. Um, so, you will know that God is, has done something powerful in your life when you run into the God who disagrees with you. Um, we know this is I don't know of any healthy marriage. And they say, hey, you know what? They just do everything I want. No, 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 no. You know you've, that's an AI chat bot that you discovered. Right? No, no. You know you married a real flesh and blood person where they say, no, I disagree with you. I disagree with you. Oh, now you finally met a real person. So that's the first one. Second one is this. You, this is, you're going to know that you met Jesus when you're given time to think without being numbed by your busyness, your good causes, your hard work, and your anxiety. Look at this, verse 8 and 9. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, I know we often immediately say that Saul slash Paul was converted on the Damascus road. I beg to differ. I beg to differ, okay? Um, what was this, why was he struck blind and why did he not eat something and why did he not drink something? What was going on there? What was happening? Well, a conversion was happening. Think about this. He has this uninterrupted time, this uninterrupted window to think over his life. And in that time, all he can do is think, I'm blind. I'm not going anywhere. How do we know this? This is really interesting. It's from Acts 26. We didn't get it from Acts 9 that tells us the, the Damascus Road story. Acts 26, Luke has another little detail that he adds about the, the Damascus Road experience. L read it. Here's, see if you can find the little part. 
Um, and when he had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in a Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you perse persecuting me? That was in Acts 9. This is the part that was not in Acts 9. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. That's the part that we didn't get in Acts 9. Now, that's weird. What is a goad? It is a sharp, pointy stick that a shepherd uses to a sheep and says, here, sheep, move. Pointy stick. Ow! Bah, bah. All right, I'll move. Bah. It's a pointy stick. It's a goad. That's what it is. Okay. So, um, God says to Saul, you have been feeling a very pointy stick, and it's really difficult for you, isn't it? What does that mean? It means that in that time, Paul has been thinking about something. And he's been thinking about something even before the Damascus Road, and it drove him crazy. It was hard for him. What was that? Let's go to Romans 7. Paul tells us. He says this. Um, okay, if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had said to me, you shall not covet. Okay, this is kind of weird. Like, uh, and I'll tell you why it's what. Think of the Ten Commandments. Now, in every single one, you could fool yourself into looking at all the first nine and saying, hey, I have had external compliance with system rules up to one through nine. I don't put votive candles and write little rice bowls in front of figurines. No, I totally believe there's one God, right? Okay, check. You could do it. Um, I, I honor my parents. I pick up every time they call me. I do, I promise. Right? Like, I'll even let them live with me. Ha, huh, beat that. You could have this external, like, right? Like, honor your parents. You can say, hey, 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 I, I don't have a mistress. I, like, I don't, that's not my thing. Like, externally, I don't do that. Now, Jesus does tell us that there's a deeper, what, fulfilling of the law that happens with the heart. But you could convince yourself, like, I do commandments one through nine. Except the tenth one is infuriating. And this is what Paul says. He goes, it says you shall not covet. Immediately inside the tenth goes straight to the heart. And what is it? It says like, oh, I'm not supposed to want a new TV. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not supposed to want a new car. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not coveting. Coveting says this, is if I don't have the thing, Life is not worthwhile, and I am not content and satisfied. That's covetous. And this is what nails Paul. It just, it, 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 it's something that Victor and Veronica can't do either. They run into something like, oh, I, that gets me. I can't, yeah, yeah, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. That's what Paul is saying. It's like, not only do I can't do it, I know this. I'll never be able to do it. And it kills him. He says it in Romans 7. It, that, that did me in. It killed me. It killed me. That law killed me. That was the pointy stick. Now, it's, this runs into the third thing. You run into an impossibility. Very, very good people, when you meet Jesus, is you run into an impossibility and you run in something that you cannot do. Finally, 
Finally. And this is what's interesting is suddenly Paul sees something. All the stuff, awesome stuff he's done, his resume, suddenly doesn't even matter. What We get this from Philippians 3. He's really proud of his pedigree and his resume and where he's been and who he's been educated under and what he's done and how he's done, what tribe. Like he is, he, he calls himself like, I am, I'm not just a Pharisee, which is the boss. Like I am a Pharisee, I am the best Pharisee. He calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. <laughs> Like he is a very, very good person, and this is it, is he pushes that aside. It, it, it's almost as if the, all the good stuff doesn't matter because he ran into the one thing that he couldn't do. And Jesus says, hey, that pointy stick is hard, isn't it? That nags you, doesn't it? Victor and Veronica what is pointy? What do you know that you cannot, cannot, cannot do? You might need a Jesus for that. Fourth, you're going to know that you met Jesus when you pray to a father and not a distant, cosmic, foreign entity. Where do I get that? Verse 10 and 11. This is really interesting. There was a, Ananias comes into the picture. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So when God communicates to Ananias, it, it, this is kind of great. He, he, Damascus. There's a road called Straight in Damascus, narrows it down. On that road, there's a house of Judas. That's the address. Inside that address, there's going to be a name, a person, Saul, Paul. And this is so curious. He says, he's praying. Why, why, why is that curious? is for the first time Paul is not praying in protocols made by the religious system. For the first time, he is praying to God who is his father. For the first time. Let me tell you this, is you know it when you hear it. Um, when we were living in Mid-City, um, there's a couple we befriended. Some of you have heard this story, uh, Jason and Min. And they were involved in some pretty crazy stuff. But slowly, they began to hear about Jesus. And I would pray with Jason and men on their bed, which sounds weird. I'll explain it later. And there were some words that they used that we could never use here. but I knew they were talking to a father. No religious mumbo jumbo. They were talking to dad. If you've been around people that have met Jesus for the first time, their prayers sound rough and uncouth even. But you know they're talking to dad. It's gorgeous. I 
how do you know that you have met Jesus? Um, there's another thing is you run into grace and you run into other Jesus people who are experiencing grace. And at once there's a community of grace. Where do we get that? <laughs> when God talks to Ananias, Ananias, uh, let's just, I love this. Ananias does not have a, what we call a great response. <laughs> he says this, um, yeah, um, um, okay, uh, I've been keeping up with the news. <laughs> like, like, I know what this guy Saul does. Like, ah, no, 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 no. You can't fool me. He's the guy that has been killing the people. And God tells him this. He says, no, 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 no. He is a guy who I'm going to use in this massive way. And, and, and Ananias, I've got to show him in the ways he's going to suffer. And Ananias said, okay, you put it that way. I kind of like the suffering part. I will go. <laughs> verse, verse 17 of chapter 9. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, that's Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, this is beautiful. You've got to see this. He could have said, hey, um, yeah, God told me to come here. You need the Holy Spirit. Let's get, th let's get this done. This is beautiful. Um, he laid hands on Saul, which is incredibly familial and familiar and loving. I have a daughter who comes up behind me and she puts her hands on my shoulders and rubs my shoulders. And I love it. It's so familial. Physical, right? And this is the amazing thing. He lays hands on him, and then he says something. Brother. We have the same dad. He would totally do something like that. It's classic dad. Classic. Did he, saving someone like this, completely in character. Completely in character. Consistent with how he is. He's so like that, right? Everyone's like, did Ananias say that? I, no, you know that. He saved me. Of course he would save someone like you. Brother. We're family. We're family. Victor and Veronica, have you been converted? Have you met Jesus? And you will know you have. Have you met a God that disagrees with your opinions? Have you? Have you ever had time to reflect on your life unhurried and say, and ask yourself, where has the goad, the pointy stick been pointing me? 
And, and, and you realize, like, oh, there's something I could never do, and I can't appeal to my resume. I just know I can't do it. And do you pray to a real father and not some weird, distant, cosmic? And do you pray to your father? I, I, I was talking recently. I was giving counsel to someone very close to me. And I was trying to say to them, is like, did you know that there's nothing you cannot bring to your father? Said positively, you bring everything to your father. The crazy stuff, the dark stuff, the stuff spinning in your head. Bring it to your dad, bring it to your dad, bring it to your dad. Can you do that? Have you experienced grace in community with others and not alone? Well, if you say, well, nah, not really, awesome. It can still happen. And if it has, it's an absolute gift. It's an absolute gift. Be grateful. Be grateful. Our father, our dad, we are sons and daughters that some of have us have thought we met the Jesus we knew, the predictable Jesus. And we are still learning the Jesus we don't know, the one that disagrees with a lot of our opinions. By your spirit, would you have us meet him again. In your word and in your community. Would you build us not so that we hold it to ourselves but that we share it too. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.